So good morning everyone again. <laughs> Lovely to be, to be with you this morning and uh, always appreciate the invitation, always glad to come. I'm going to, if it's, without wanting to be in the least bit offensive, I'm actually looking forward to next Sunday probably even more. Well, I'm going to be here, but, but you won't, because it'll be in the afternoon. Because we're, we're very kind, we very kindly offer the church to us for our baptismal services. So we've got one next Sunday here in the afternoon, and uh, really looking forward to that, some of our young people uh, are being baptised. One of them, uh, we pretty well had to hold back from the last time, because he was so keen to be baptised, and we just wondered at that time whether he was maybe even quite old enough, but hey, he's He's hassled me and hassled me and hassled me. And when they do that, you know they mean business with God. And certainly the two that are being baptised next week, uh, we're really looking forward to that. So, so thank you for the loan of your premises uh, and, and, and the pool uh, and all of that. We look forward to that next Sunday. And if you've not been baptised yourselves, why not? Get up there, get in the water. It's, uh, it's great just to, to, to follow the Lord. Uh, in that simple obedience, and uh, what, a, what a great occasion that is. We're going to read from uh, Genesis chapter 18, and verses 1 to 15. Another one of the reasons why I love coming here is I always get given a subject, uh, and so it always drives you back into looking at stuff that maybe I haven't looked at before, or well, I've read it before, but never preached on it before, so it's always nice to have that challenge uh, to, uh, to get back into the Word and to see what God has to say. And, uh, and I know that God spoke to me through this in my preparation. Uh, probably will say something entirely different to you this morning. Uh, but let's just read the, the passage uh, concerning it. Verses 1 to 15 of chapter 18 of Genesis. In my uh, Bible, it's entitled The Three Visitors. It says this, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I found favour in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way. And now that you have come to your servant, very well, the answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the, and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, Will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. 
And Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, mm-hmm, yes, you did. <laughs> okay. We all know the, the scenario, don't we? Okay. It could be any night of the week. Invariably, with me, it can be a, a, a Sunday night or maybe a Saturday night. And uh, you've nothing planned, all right? Diary's empty. So you get your gym jams on and all the rest of it and... Uh, you, you get sort of a, you know, one or two sort of nibbles around there by the, by, by the side of the sofa. You either get out your good book or you plan something to watch on the telly or you, you're going you're gonna to watch a film or something like that and you're just settling down when... Ding dong! How do you feel about that? <coughs> well, there you're in your pyjamas, so now that's looking stupid at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night. Well, never mind, okay, so... Uh, and off you go to the door. Nice to see you! Well, yeah, right. <laughs> those, those visits of inconvenience. We've got one or two folks in the church who are like that. Most people these days, there's a protocol. You ring up first, don't you? Uh, just checking whether you're in. I need to come round. Is it okay? Is it convenient? Just I come round and see you. Yeah, well, even if it's not, you still say yes. Uh, because you, you want to offer that hospitality. Uh, but when, but there are one or two, and we have got one or two, who never do that. They never ring, they never text, or they're just at the door. Uh, and so there's no alternative. Come on in. Do you want a cup of tea? Yeah, fine, okay. You look at the wife and uh, there's that sort of secret glance that goes between husband and wife that says, well, never mind, we'll do it next Saturday instead. And, uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And yet, Hebrews reminds us, you know, there's often on occasions just like that that we will entertain angels without even knowing it. And those unexpected calls and unexpected guests can often, in, a, in an unusual kind of way, be messengers from God. And Abraham had three such uh, visitors. Although in brackets, in my notes, I've put travellers. A visitor is somebody who you're expecting, who comes and, and straight away you invite them in. A traveller is somebody who happens to be passing by the front door and you spot them. And it's a combination of the two. Uh, clearly, uh, as the story unravels, they had come to visit Abraham and Sarah. But they made out to be travellers, as though they were just passing by. And Abraham could have let them do exactly that, just pass on by. Because as they approached, it was that, it was the middle of the day, it was the heat of the day, so it's the time of day you didn't do anything, it was siesta time. Uh, and so he's, he's sat at the, the gate, at the door of his tent, and uh, he's just probably just nodding off. That quiet moment. And all of a sudden he sees the visitors approaching. Unusual that people would be out walking in the heat of the day, but, but here they are. He could have feigned sleep. Lesser mortals have done so, probably including you. At different times, you don't want to be disturbed, so you pretend. Or you don't hear the wife, the husband, the kids. Sorry, I didn't know you were talking to me. And you carry on, that kind of thing. He could have done that. But as he looked at the guests, these visitors, these travellers, he just recognised 
the presence of the Lord. I long for that, you know. I long for it from both sides. I long for that ability to always recognize the presence of God in any given situation. Because time and again, I miss him. I read in my morning reading this morning, my wife and I together, we just have that kind of little routine in the beginning of each day. Uh, and it was that bit with Samuel, and the Lord called Samuel. And, uh, and it had been a while since God had obviously called, uh, called old Eli the priest. Uh, and and he wasn't, it took three goes before Eli thought, hang on a minute, it could just be the Lord. <laughs> I remember when that used to happen to me almost to say, you know, uh, next time he calls, say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Samuel had never heard the Lord's voice before. He would recognize it more clearly the next time. Uh, but there was just something about these, these travelers, uh, and Abraham recognized the presence of the Lord. During the, during the week, we had a, a, a little study in our own house group, and we were looking at the life of Smith Wigglesworth. And, uh, and there was one particular event that really struck me. And that was one occasion when he was travelling on a train. And the presence of God around him was so powerful that it brought conviction to the other people in the carriage without him even saying a word. So much so that at one point, one guy did actually jump up and just blurt out his confession of sin before God. The presence of God. To recognise the presence and to be a carrier of the presence, along for both those things. Along, in fact, funnily enough, that was Wednesday on Friday. I had to go to London and back on the train. And, and I prayed, Lord, <laughs> let people be convicted of the presence of Almighty God just by me sitting in that carriage. But nothing happened. But anyway, no man. <laughs> All right, something there. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was the book that I was reading on the way down, which were actually crucial questions about hell that put people off. I don't know. Uh, but that's, I managed to get through that all on the way down there. But just to have that awareness. And Abraham had that. And he recognised the presence of Almighty God. Uh, it, was, it was three people. It was a theophany and two angels. Does that make sense to you? Because there was something different. One of these visitors was not like the other two. One he refers to as Lord. In my Bible, it's Lord with a little L, but actually, in the correct translation, it ought to be a Lord with a big L. And clearly, the way that Abraham addressed him and dealt with him and the things that he said back to Abraham were quite indicative that this was indeed the Lord. A theophany, a pre-incarnational appearance of Jesus. Okay? That's who it was. And alongside him, two angels. We know they were angels because later on in chapter 19, verse 1, when these two were sent into Sodom and Gomorrah, we read that two, when the two angels arrived, so it's quite clear that these are two to the same two. The two visitors were two angels. And he begs them not to pass by. I couldn't help but be struck with the similarity to the two guys who were walking on the road to Emmaus. And, uh, and Jesus joins them, or they didn't know it was Jesus. And then when they get to the house, Jesus makes as though he would go on, but they implore him and say, no, don't, no, don't, don't go on, it's getting late, it's getting dark. Come on in and, and join us and have some supper. 
and they entreat him to stay. And so it is with Abraham. He begs them not to pass by because they were making as though they would have gone by. But he implored them, said, no, 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 don't pass by, stay a while. Let me just pause and say here, God will not stay where God is not wanted. It's important to remember that. He won't stay where he's not wanted. He won't intrude upon your privacy. He won't disturb your film or that special evening you've got planned or that busy day you've got scheduled if you don't want him to. But if you invite him to, he will be delighted to spend time in your company. You know, sometimes I feel that maybe, well, I know I do it with ordinary people. Uh, my, my, sometimes I can be just be so busy and, and so full of stuff that I'm almost, I say, almost say to people by my very demeanour and the things that I will say about my busy programme that day, actually I've not got time to talk to you. If it's okay, I'll rush on and do something more important. Sometimes we can be like that with God. Not got time today, Lord. Too busy, got too much on. I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. Lord, you know how busy I am. And he just wanted to say, yeah, I know that, but I just want you to pause, to stop, maybe to get out the word, maybe to kneel down, but to spend time with me. Whilst God is omnipresent, he doesn't just want to be around us, or even by his spirit just in us. Almost like a lodger, you know. Uh, my, my daughter, uh, my, sorry, my granddaughter, has uh, just started a new job in, uh, in, in, Lo- in the centre of London, and she has to find digs down there. And she's found a lovely Christian home that she's going to be able to be part of. She's got her own room, it's nice, it's ensuite, and all the rest of it. Uh, but she was told, uh, quite fairly, the main lounge, you're very welcome to come, but it's our lounge, and we choose what's on the telly. So you're welcome, you can stay here, treat it a bit like your own, but it's not your own, because we've got our own set of things that we're going to do. I, I think it's fine for him to say that, so I'm not complaining. I'm sure she's going to love it there, actually. But we can be like that with God sometimes. He wants to be, re- we want him as resident within our lives. We want him with us, but we actually want him controlled somehow. We want to take charge of what he does. He doesn't want that. He wants to be, not just be in residence, but he wants to be in relationship. He wants to have that fellowship with us, that interaction with us. Uh, and Abraham uh, offered him that level of hospitality. It wasn't as though Abraham said, come on in, uh, have a cup of tea, it's the least that I can do. No, it wasn't. It, the least that he could do wasn't going to be good enough because he recognised the presence of the Lord. No, was, he wanted to give them the very, very best that he could do. And that always should be our attitude. That we don't just do the least that we can do, but that we do the best that we can do. And that is something that's consistent throughout Scripture. You know, when they came to Jesus to try and trip him up, and they sort of say, you know, what's the great commandment? What's the first commandment? The most important commandment. And he said, well, it's the, you know, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your neighbour as yourself. And that was the philosophy. Uh, that drove Abraham. It wasn't, well, you need a, a bit of a break, I'll get a cup of tea and a bun. Uh, no, it had to be more than that. Because he wanted to treat them, yep, as he would want to be treated, and maybe more so. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Luke 
says, you know, uh, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Now, that passage, that little bit is particularly talking about forgiveness. But it's consistent with the, just the way that God wants us to behave right throughout Scripture, that as we give and as we give generously, so we receive in abundance. And Abraham gave the best that he had. He demonstrated generosity. And generosity and humble service are amongst the key characteristics of a follower of Jesus. And so in verses 6 to 8, we read that he says, get the finest flower. The finest flower. Uh, get the, and he rushes out to the herd to get a choice, tender calf. I tried to smile slightly, you know, because uh, as Abraham's offering all this hospitality, he runs inside and it's the wife that has to suddenly get the fine flower and spend the next, I don't know how long, kneading and preparing and get everything cooked and ready. Remember when I was in, uh, in Kenya and we went to, I went to uh, visit uh, a pastor where it's a long journey it was going to be several hours uh, on, on the bus and it, I tell you it was a very uncomfortable ride and the guy that was with me a lovely young guy uh, he was sort of my guide and chaperone and we arrived at this bloke's place uh, this pastor's place to find out he'd forgotten we were coming uh, and he had actually gone on the bus the other way back to Nairobi where we'd just come from uh, so that was, wasn't going to happen and we were too far away we had to stay the night somewhere and so we stayed in a little local hostel. And then the next day, this young guy said, is it all right if we go and see my parents? They're not far from here. I said, look, well, that appointment's fallen through. So yeah, let's do that. So we, we got a little sort of bus down to a little town where he lived. And then we walked up through the, the maize field to the, the house that was on top of the hill where his, his father was. And they didn't speak any English. And uh, so it was all through interpretation. But it was incredible, the hospitality. Here's a people who had very, very little. And no sooner had I arrived, I saw the, some of the children uh, in the house were rushing around chasing after these chickens. That was lunch. <laughs> and as I sat in the main lounge, the main lounge, it was a, a wooden building, wooden structure. As I sat there, I could smell something roast meat. And they'd been out and they'd killed a choice lamb. And they were cooking it, especially for me. The hospitality was phenomenal. And that's what Abraham did. He, he did the very, very best, the finest flower, the choice tender calf. He gave the best that he had. And, and, you know, we should aspire to do that. It's not a matter of, if I've got time, I'll see what I can do. Uh, and come the end of the month, I'll see what's left over so, what, so I can give that. Or, it'll do for now. These are phrases we use a lot, aren't they? But, you know, they're not godly phrases. Because it's not the way that God operates. He never says to us, wait till the end of the month, I'll see what I can do if I've got time, you know. But we need to understand that God, too, is no man's debtor. Paul, uh, uh, Peter once said, you know, to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Left everything. And, uh, and yet the Lord would say, Peter... Whatever you've left, you're going to receive back far, far more than you ever imagined. And that's the way that God works. That's why when he fed the 5,000 people, he only started off with five loaves and two fishes, but they had 12 basketfuls left over, 
far more than, than they ever, ever imagined. When he fed the 4,000, there were seven baskets left over. When he changed the water into wine, it was something like 180 gallons. A bit over the top, you'd have thought. But that's the way that God is. He blessed us far more. When he was healing the paralysed man, he didn't just heal him, he forgave his sin. And that was a far greater blessing than the physical healing. But he just threw that in as an extra. It's the way that God is. We see it reflected in creation. Don't you just love these awesome days? It's a bit miserable if, it just, if, they, if they just all turned one shade of yellow. But they don't, do they? It's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. I'm encouraged by autumn, actually. It tells me there's a beauty in growing old. And in dying. There's a special beauty there. I love it. But the whole of creation, every season, every part of the year, it's a superabundance of the, the magnificence and the creativity and the love of God poured out. All the shades of green, not just one. All the different colours, all the different hues. All the incredible animals and creatures and insects that God has made. A few would have done. Several thousand would have been okay. But the millions that we see around the world, that's our God. You give up nothing for something like that. You give everything. And he gives you far more back in return. Abraham, however still had to learn a very important lesson. That our God is able to do far more exceedingly above all that we could ever ask or think. That's from Ephesians, as you know. And so, because he had to learn that lesson, he asked the question in verse... Uh, in the, well, one of the verses. Uh, he says... Yeah, verse 13. He says, where's Sarah? Where's Sarah? Now, that's an innocent enough question. But it was going to open up a whole can of worms and expose not Sarah's lack of faith, though it did that, but actually Abraham's lack of faith as well. Where's Sarah? Well, actually, what, where Sarah was, she was sticky beaking just outside by the tent door. Uh, you know, she was, it was eavesdropping. Uh, she was hanging around, sort of, you know, close enough, because the women, of course, didn't come in when the men were eating. But she was as close as she could get, so she could hear everything that was being said. Uh, and when, of course, she heard the promise from the Lord that this time next year that she would give birth to a child, then she couldn't, she just couldn't help herself. She just laughed. And of course, they heard it inside the tent. So the Lord repeated the promise that God gave in the previous chapter, which you probably may have looked at last week. And Sarah's reaction is the same as Abraham's. She laughed. And it's too easy for us to be critical of Sarah. But I'm not critical of Sarah. Because the laughter, I don't think, was born out of any resistance to the will of God, but rather from the hopelessness that came from years of disappointment. Some of you have been there. 
where things that maybe God had promised or you felt that God had said years ago and you're still waiting, it's never happened. And some of us have got to the point where you feel it's never going to happen. Because I'm past it now. You know, the opportune moment is gone. You know, things have moved on. We're not there anymore. And a bit like Sarah, we sort of, we sort of laugh and say, well, yeah, but it's not going to happen now. Put simply, she'd given up hoping. She'd given up longing. She'd given up dreaming. And I need to ask you this morning, what is it you've given up on? What is it you've stopped hoping for? What is it you've stopped dreaming about? Because if God made you a promise, you'll keep his promise. Now, there's times we miss seeing what God says to us. Or we, we receive something from somebody and it was never from God in the first place. There's one or two checks and balances we put in there. But, but you know, I, I know in my own life, many of the time, when I, I just have I've given up on stuff that I shouldn't have given up on. I've, I've let things go that I shouldn't have let go. And the thing is, we must never, ever let the disappointments of the past rob us of our present and our future. And, and that often happens. Because something didn't happen then, we feel it can't happen now, and it'll never happen then. We must never allow the past to rob us of our present and our future blessings. And Abram's challenged over Sarah's laughter. The Lord says to him, why is she laughing? And it seems to me that the Lord is pointing the finger, not so much at Sarah, but to him. Because he laughed when the Lord said that he would have a child. And Sarah was simply replicating his own unbelief. Who was the head of the household? Abraham was. Who was the one responsible for the spiritual headship of that home? Abraham was. Where was the lead coming from? Abraham. Where was the faith? Well, it wasn't in Abraham because he laughed. And all Sarah was doing was replicating his own unbelief. Guys, we have a responsibility to lead our families in faith and in hope, to dream where they've lost hope, when they've stopped dreaming, to hope when they've stopped hoping, to push on when they want to give up. That's our responsibility as men, as heads of our households. If you don't believe in that, if you want to be feminist liberation, you know, we're going to stand on our own feet, well, do it, but it's ungodly. That's the way I read it from the scripture. And I wouldn't want that responsibility personally, but it's one that God has given. One that God has given. And it doesn't absolve the ladies or the children or the rest of it from, from their own responsibilities before God. But I believe I have to give an account before God of what he's entrusted with me. He's given me a lovely wife and two gorgeous kids and I have a responsibility to God to, to honour him by being faithful in my own Christian walk. And Abraham hadn't been faithful. He'd laughed in the face of God when told that they would have a child. He wanted to do it his own way and he committed immorality, really, to try to do it his own way. And, and I believe the Lord was, was bringing him up. Why is she laughing? And Abraham would be thinking, because I laughed. Because I laughed. And he says to Abraham, and with this we close, is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard? Verse 14, the Lord says, you'll return a year on and Sarah will have had a son. Who's going to come back and witness to the fulfilment of the promise of God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We need to be honest with our answer. 
said, of course, we're good evangelicals. So the answer is, no, of course not. He can do anything. Is it what we really believe? Is it what we really believe? When confronted with some of the challenges that, they, that life throws at us, do we really believe that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, he's promised to come back. And he will see for himself. And we will see with him the fulfilment of all that God has promised. Because when that trumpet sounds and, 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 and the clouds part and Christ comes in glory, his bride will be in perfection and ready to be caught up with him, to meet with him in the air. And all of his promises are yea and amen because he will fulfil and complete all that he's, he's promised to do. He said, I will build my church and he will do that regardless of the way in which we, we behave as a country and we act as a nation. He will build his church. He will call those to himself who need to be saved. So we need to go forward praising him for all that is past and trusting him for all that is to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.